now I would like to introduce our main speaker for the evening, Leilani T. From San Diego. Wow, thank you so much. Can you hear me? Thank you so much. My name is Leilani. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Hi. Happy birthday to Bill and Sherry. Welcome to all the newcomers. I'm really, really glad you're here. Um, so I said I was recovered, right? So I don't know. We don't hear that that much anymore. So it's my aim tonight to talk about and to describe in precise language how it is that I've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. If you're here tonight, right, and you're, you're maybe questioning whether or not you're an alcoholic, I want to talk about my experience as an alcoholic and how I knew I was an alcoholic, even though the writing was all over the wall on the, on the inside of the toilet, for sure. Um, right, so being an alcoholic, being this separate and this distinct entity, something happens to me in the bodily sense, in the mental sense, and, you know, what's even more important and what goes deeper, and that's what this fellowship does, is we treat the spirit in the spiritual sense. Something happens to me when I take a drink. It doesn't happen to people who aren't like me. And I have to come to see that I have to realize that on a really deep, visceral level. Otherwise, I'm not going to go through with this work. And, and, you know, this work is actually the only solution that there has been for centuries, right? For people who suffer what we suffer from, this condition that I'm going to start to describe. This has been the only thing, this little glitch in history since the 1930s that's been treating, I've, you know, we've been people who've been able to regain, you know, uh, vital standings within our communities. We take up our beds and walk again. There's like a bunch of alcoholics in here. If you're an alcoholic, I don't know that's for you to come up with, find your own truth. But if we're all alcoholic, this room is packed the fuck out, right? Um... So the, there are a lot of us, and, and, you know, up until this point in history, before there were these steps um, that were divinely inspired and written out for us to follow as a practical program of action, right? So these are not theories. The words within the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous come from practice. And it's actually the, it, the words in here are the steps. So we put the short version up on the wall just to give you like a sneaky peek into what's coming for you. If you haven't, if you haven't worked them yet, but they can't, I mean, in my experience, like I couldn't work the steps as outlined off the wall and get the same results, get the promises that are described in the book. Like, that wasn't going to work. And I wanted what was described in the book. I really wanted, you know what I wanted? I wanted sanity. Insanity, in terms of, we hear, we hear insanity, insanity kicked around a lot. It's used very loosely, this, like, kind of pop psychology term. Girl, that's crazy. I was crazy. I was, oh, I was crazy. Um... I'm sure, like, all of us did some crazy, right? We did some crazy things. People do crazy things when they're drunk. It's a mood, mind-altering substance. We go crazy. I'm sure the stories in this room collectively could, like, peel the wallpaper off the walls, right? Crazy. <laughs> However, when we're talking about defining what a real alcoholic is, the true insanity of alcoholism, an alcoholic, isn't what I do when I'm drunk. It's that knowing what I do when I'm drunk, I get drunk. What? What? Wait a second. So knowing what happens to me when I put alcohol into my system, which is that this doctor tells me in the beginning of the book, I'm a separate and distinct entity. I react in a phenomenon of craving. I need more alcohol. I'm not drinking because times are good. They're good sometimes. I'm not drinking because times are bad at, towards the end. They're mostly bad, right, towards the end for me in the last 10 years. Um, 
I'm drinking to overcome a craving beyond my mental control because I'm physically reacting to the substance. Molecularly, on a cellular level, I respond to alcohol with excitement. <laughs> right? It's just like... Right? It's, you know, like... Which is different from other allergies. Other allergies people suffer from, they have peanut butter, they swallow up, they're like, oh, no, I'm not doing that again. <clears throat> right? Strawberries are like, no, I'm, I'm all red in hives. Like us with alcoholism, if you're an alcoholic, you put alcohol in and there's a craving for more. It's like an itch inside and the only thing that can scratch it is more alcohol. It's not even about thought. I'm not talking about thinking yet, but we will. We're going to go deeper. So something's going on in my body. I react differently. That's cool. Great. I know I'm allergic, so I just won't drink. Thank you for the information, AA. Catch you guys later. Not so. But that's what's so cunning, baffling, and powerful about the depth of what we suffer from. If you're suffering from alcoholism, is that the knowledge of what happens to me when I drink, which is that I cannot control the amount, and I can't quit entirely. That knowledge never keeps me from picking up again. Right? So then we see on page 23 that maybe this thing is a little deeper than we thought initially. Maybe it centers in the mind at this point. Okay, the mind. That the great obsession of every abnormal drinker is that they can control and enjoy their drinking. Right? And I mean, I, I, I had that obsession for years. So... Not mental obsession in the sense that I'm having obsessive thoughts about drinking, although it may be characterized by that. That happens too. The drinking dreams, the triggers, right? And I mean, let's talk about triggers for a quick sec. We got a minute. So triggers, right? And I, I went through treatment. I'm grateful for treatment. However, I had to come to see that treatment wasn't going to restore my sanity. Does that make sense? So... We live in a world where we worship our minds. We're really smart people in here, right? And we still display, like, control and intellect and logic and other areas of our lives, except for where drinking is concerned. We're strangely insane, right? We're, like, bizarrely selfish and dishonest. And so I had to come to see that, like, you know, it wasn't going to be through knowledge of my triggers, right? It, the solution wasn't going to come from the mind. I wasn't going to be able to just think it over and be like, no, girl, not today. I don't want, no, I want things for me in my future. I mean, that would be, I mean, if only, wouldn't that be nice? None of us would be here, right? Probably a good number of us would not be here. If we could keep ourselves sober, just through thought, like the fear, even the fear, it's heartbreaking to me. It's heartbreaking to me when people, you know, I don't want to lose my kids, so I'm just not going to do it again. I got a jail sentence hanging over me, so of course I'm not going to drink again. I don't want to lose this job, so I'm not going to drink again. And they drink again. From an untreated state of mind, the time and the place is going to come, and we will drink again. It's not about when the relapse, is, or if the relapse, it's when, right? And the relapse ends in the drink. The book describes the mental states that precede the relapse. What's going on in the mentality of, of an alcoholic? So in the body, we get Dr. Silkworth, leading physician at the time, treating drugs and alcohol, and he gives us his diagnosis and prognosis of alcoholism, and he says, you're doomed. <laughs> you're hopeless. Except for this weird little movement, I see people coming around the hospital, and they're talking to guys, and they're getting better. And, you know, what those people were doing is they were taking each other through the steps. So we're told on the first page that we're, we must... We must impart what we learned on still others. 
So then we get to the mind, and we're looking at that diagnosis and prognosis, and, and they talked to Dr. Carl Jung, right? Pretty big deal guy. I don't know if you guys know. So, um, right? And he, and he has, he has a few things he wants to tell Alcoholics Anonymous. And guess what it is? You're doomed. <laughs> it's hopeless. And he says, you know, like with, with, with some, with some people who drink, I've been somewhat successful. And he says, he shares some insight, and he says, with alcoholics throughout the centuries, I've seen some of them recover, and you know you know what happens? It's these, like, they have these vital spiritual experiences. He says to him, they're phenomena. Basically, you have people who are struck by lightning, or they, you know, near-death experiences, right? So they're dying. They come near something. They have an experience, a spiritual experience that completely rearranges them. And then, you know, they're not the town drunk anymore. So these these instances, these occurrences are phenomena to Dr. Carl Jung. And he actually, he's had a little success generating kind of a synthetic version of that in therapy. And he says, but, oh, I'm sorry, wait, I see your hopes are getting up. I'm sorry, but for the chronic true alcoholic, no. <laughs> I've never been able to save one of those. I've never been able to treat somewhere where the mental state of a chronic alcoholic exists. You're doomed. Right? That's pretty intense. So this, this state of mind that exists, right, this lack of proportion to think straight when it comes to alcohol. I know what happens to me when I drink. I can't do a pro and con list, right? I know what happens to me when I drink and I, I keep drinking. I keep drinking. I keep drinking, right? Like how we would approach maybe some other problems in our lives. Cool, I'm just going to hang on. And so we start to concede and see the concept and the depth of powerlessness. So you're telling me that I can't solve this through my mind? To me, that means it's not of the mind. If it could be treated, right, wouldn't we have, if it was like synaptic misfiring or some brain chemistry, some neurons not matching up, right? Or wouldn't it be solved through... Therapy, right? Would therapy successfully treat it? And I, to me, we have to go deeper. And if you're a real alcoholic who wants to get over it, right? And that's what the book says. You want to get over it? Like really get over it. Not live in fear. Not have to just hang on to the edge of your seat, right? Do you want a life, the life that you were meant to lead? A life of freedom, right? A liberation, so I have to go deeper because if I have this mentality, if that brings me to the drink even without a thought. So, right, at certain times I'm unable to bring into my consciousness with sufficient force the suffering and the humiliation of even a week or a month ago. I just don't think. So I can't believe that the solution is going to come through my mind. I'm going to live by slogans. I'm just going to do the do and... The time's going to come, and it's, I, I'm not even going to think I'm going to be wasted again. And that's happened to me time and time again. And I, I hope, my hope is for tonight that as I'm speaking, you're digging through your own, and you're rooting through your own experience and seeing if what I'm saying is true for you, because this is about your own personal experience. I'm just sharing my life and, and how, how, I, I've, um, how this work has been illuminated for me, right? And it's important that it, it must come alive. Right? Like I, you know, turning statements into questions to generate a personal experience to me. Otherwise, it's just like these dudes from the 30s that have nothing to do with me. Except for this is the only solution that's really known right now. You know, um, if I, if I can't 
stop myself with my own mind. Why have I had, why have I had this like strange lack of proportion to think clearly? Right? Sometimes that's where we want to go. Why does that exist? But the book says like, hold up, wait a minute. We may not ever answer the riddle. It's not important. It's telling me why I'm an alcoholic. I just am. I respond mentally, physically, and spiritually when I take a drink. I don't need to, I mean, there are so many causational, you know, psychosocial, economic, all of that, but it doesn't really matter why I'm an alcoholic. I just need to get down and concede that I am one. And on page 30, it says, like, we've already gone through all this self-exploration, examination, and journey of discovery, and that's what it should be for you, this personal experience. Am I an alcoholic? Before I need to come into the room and just, like, say it, right? I need to find out, am I really willing to go to the lengths that are described in this book to recover from this, from this dis-ease, this discomfort, this separation from health and spirit and God? So if I, I need to connect with that and coming to that place, I just, I'm in that place of surrender where I can concede to my innermost self that I'm, I'm an alcoholic. And that's the first step in recovery, that I'm an alcoholic. So you want to ask, are you an alcoholic? If you are, as described in the book, right on pages 21 and 22, the real alcoholic become dangerously, even disgustingly antisocial, right? Antisocial in terms of that, you know, what can the world do for me? This attitude of entitlement that I, I know I had. I was like, what? I need to just suck everything I can out of this world, right? So, you know, doing, you know, tragic, absurd things. Just so selfish, completely focused on my own pain, my disappointment with life, which always, always, always made for more drinking. Staying in that place, and that's the bondage of self, being a prisoner to that state of mind. That was my consciousness. That was my world, was my my suffering and being trapped there. So I start to see that there's something to this spiritual malady that they're describing to me. I've been full of fear. I've had trouble in my personal relationships. I haven't seemed to be of any real help to anyone. Can't make a living. I'm a prey to misery and depression. I'm unhappy. And that's the condition that I suffer from. And I treated that with alcohol. It wasn't the alcohol that brought that on. The alcohol was the solution to that. And that's... That's the condition, that's my internal condition that I suffer from that needs to be treated. And I I have to see that on a really, really deep level. And that's a spiritual condition. That's a feeling of lack, restless, irritable, and discontent. I'm never going to get what I want. If I get it, I'm just going to lose it. I'm going to lose it. It's going to be the wrong kind. Or there's something better that they have. So it's this, it's this eternal unrest and it's a separation from spirit, right? So I have, I have that running me, keeping me drunk. So I have to see that that's what's going on with me in order to know. And the book tells us this, like they get it from every angle. They're like, yeah, you think you can do it on your own? What about this? What about that? Right? So and they're trying to snub out any lurking notion, any reservation 
that not only we can drink again, but that we could do it on our own, right? That we could overcome alcoholism. If you're suffering from real alcohol, from alcoholism, right? Mental, spiritual, physical, that you can solve it on your own. They want to save you all the pain and the suffering of yours through their bitter experience, right? I have to start to see that it's a solution to this condition, that deep feeling of restlessness, irritability, and discontent that's more important than anything in my life. Because I start to see that anything that I think I can get my hands on that's going to fix me, one, never has, right? How long have we looked for an external solution to an internal problem? Get the job, get the relationship, get the car, get the money, get them all, drink again, lose them all, (laughs) Come and share about how I lost them all, right? So, like, right? Well, you know, and we see that, and it's like, you know, we welcome people back with open arms, and they share their experience with us and the road that they've tried, and it's like, yeah, you guys were right. What you see, yeah, I put everything first, and fuck, I lost it. Um, right? So we see time, and so I can't go for the stuff. I can't go for the cash and prizes. I can't go for this material world. I have to start to see that I, where do we live, right? Where do you, where do you guys live, right? Where do you live? We live, we live, where do we live, Nathan? Right. <laughs> we live internally, right? How did you experience your day? Think about your day today, right? I'm already asking you to think. I'm asking you to turn to your thoughts. Think about your thought life. What plane is it on, right? Is it, is it rooted in the material, How many times today were you able to turn and have awareness of the spiritual? To seek God consciousness, to move away from self. And then those days that we are in, in God consciousness, what what is, what are those days like? What is the feeling there? What is the lightness there? What is the freedom and the liberation there? And then those days and those moments that I'm back in self, that I'm in self, self self-centeredness, self-seeking motives, selfishness, resentment, fear, dishonesty. How does that feel? Hmm. Feels like I need a drink, right? That's how that feels, right? And I mean that with that with that un, with an untreated spirit, the untreated spirit, right, in that place of unrest and disease, will always result in the return of the mental obsession. It may not come as obsessive thoughts, right? That's the great delusion we can suffer from. Is as a it's an alcoholic in recovery, doing the room, doing my thing. You know, there's this like delusion that I'm gonna know when I when it's danger time. I'm gonna know when I need to go to a meeting. I'm gonna know when the relapse is gonna come, right? And it's insane thinking. That's insane thinking. So to think that I I know what I need and I know where I need to go. Right, So that spiritual unrest will always result in that obsession to control and enjoy my life, really. That goes along long enough, it will always result in the time and the place will come and, and that drink. I, I don't have the first effective, I don't have the first, I do not have an effective defense against the first drink, untreated. Coming to that place, conceding that, Realizing that to the depth of my being, I'm then propelled to start examining my life. So alcohol is only mentioned in the first step. 
And Billy Wilson lets us in on a big secret in, the, in his story. I love that his story, I was talking to a friend, is like parked right in the beginning of the book. Right? It's like I'm, I'm, I'm new and I'm examining what I have and I'm like, yeah, the, yeah, that happened to me. So I hope everybody has a good physical allergy story, right? When they just succumb to it. And there's nothing else that would explain your actions of that day. Other than the phenomenon of craving, right? You had somewhere to go. Maybe somewhere important. Maybe somewhere you even wanted to be. As soon as you started drinking, it was on. Right? It was on. I always laugh with the girls about this. My favorite example of that for my own life is that I would be at work, right? And I would take a 10. And then I would call in sick for my 10-minute break. <laughs> Whoops. I would go, like, down to the bar and just, you know, treat myself. I deserved it. It, I had been, it had been two hours of hard work, um, right? So I just treat myself to a little, you know, a meal deal is what I used to call it, a shot and a beer. That was lunch. And, you know, it, that went so well, I think I'll have another, you know? Oh, that, that was pretty delicious. And then pretty soon, like, I can't even, like, I'm, you know, I'm, like, sitting there and I'm like, if I get up, I'm going to fall flat on my face. Like, if I try to walk right now, like, their legs are just going to come out from underneath me. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's the phenomenon of craving at work. Like, there's nothing, I mean, I just thought I would, you know, there was no even, there's no even thought involved. You know, just run around town by that. You know, but once the, once the alcohol is removed... Then the spiritual malady and the mental obsession are there, right? So, I mean, I'm, I, I fell prey to a popular belief that as soon as I stopped drinking, like, life would be grand. Everything would be wonderful. That was my problem, just the drinking and all the problems it created, which, I mean, you know, some things got better, mainly my hygiene, okay? Right? Like, that increased tenfold. Um, I was able, you know, I became, like, more employable. I could talk to people. All that, all that, all the... All of these wonderful things that just come along from being physically sober. But I wanted, I wanted the promises that are described in the book, starting with sanity, right? So we started our talk tonight with sanity. Well, what is sanity? So I've had this lack of proportion to think clearly, to react appropriately to alcohol. Knowing what happens to me when I drink, I've had this utter inability to do it any differently. I want to be sane around alcohol. I don't want to avoid alcohol. Right? There's alcohol everywhere. world keeps on spinning. I don't want to have this bitterness like, oh, the good old days, right, when I could drink. Um, that wasn't going to work for me, right? Because if I still, I knew, like I knew enough to know, even though I was super new, I knew that if I still wanted to drink, if some little piece of me wanted to drink, I would drink. I would eventually drink. That was historically what always happened. So I thought, I didn't know what Alcoholics Anonymous was. I mean, I knew what it was, and I feel like AA is so shittily portrayed in films and television. Why is it always like three chairs in a circle? What is that? Like, hello? We're, look at Anyways, um, it's like four chairs. One of them's empty. And well, what it is is actually we're getting this bad rap. It's like it looks like a group therapy session. And actually, like Alcoholics Anonymous isn't group therapy because what we suffer from is not of the mind. So we come together. We have this amazing camaraderie. We have this beautiful fellowship of the spirit because we're sharing in a common solution. Right? We have a common peril. Right? The book gives us this beautiful analogy. We're like basically we're like the Titanic. It crashed, and all walks of life are on that boat. And we all celebrate having escaped. 
how the people in Titanic escaped. I'm just realizing the failure of that metaphor. Okay, so pretend we escape. So wouldn't we, wouldn't we be really, I mean, we, we, we'd be so joyous, right? I mean, like, and we are, we're, we join, we, we, we join in all this joy together, but it's not just because of the common peril, right? Like, we don't just get together and talk about, like, you know, but we, we join in harmonious action, right? Based on the common solution that we found. And the common solution is the book. The common solution or the steps is outlined in the book. The common solution comes from studying this book and from taking the action that's required within it. Right? It's not somebody's own take. And that's why I love that you read, you know, the traditions are read here. Like principles before the personalities because there are so many of us. And if it was just one way would have destroyed this fellowship a long time ago. It just it was somebody's idea of the steps. Like I'm just gonna take you through, you know, I'm just gonna let's poster board it. You know, like you know what I mean? And so I, I, I wanna I just wanna stress that what I'm describing comes from comes from my own experience and my own honest fear about when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I thought there was no way that I could ever have a life that I didn't want to drink. Because even though, I mean, this is what's so, you know, strange about alcoholism and those who suffer from it is even though, like, my life was horrible. It was so dark. I couldn't escape my my own self-pity. You know, I would, like, wake up and, like, really want to be dead. <laughs> you know, just like, oh, am I awake again? Fine. Well... Let's try again today. Dark, you know what I mean? Just like soothing myself with lullabies of like, maybe you'll die tomorrow. <laughs> right? Heavy. Heavy, right? And like, and still, the insanity underneath that is like, I still liked to drink when I came here. I still liked the effects produced by alcohol. They were so subtle. I couldn't differentiate the true from the false. And I, I liked how it felt. But the book gives like really, really great news to people who normally love really bad news, which is there's a way out from what you're suffering. And if you have lost the ability to stop drinking on your own, if you can't control the amount once you start, you can't quit entirely, you might be an alcoholic, the book suggests. You may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience is going to conquer. Right, a spiritual experience, what Dr. Young was describing. Except good news, you don't have to have a near-death experience, which all of us, a lot of us have, and it didn't do anything, right? I mean, I've had a plenty, and I was still, like, you know, tearing out the IV and running down the street as soon as I came to, right? Right? I mean, having that, having those near-death experiences didn't actually, didn't produce the necessary, the necessary vital of spiritual experience at all for me. But I'm told that this book is gonna, it's going to lead me to a, to a relationship with a power that's much greater than myself. By who I can live my life by. Who's going to provide that first defense against the drink that I never had. So I see, I see what they finally are describing as powerlessness. I've had no power, control, or choice over whether or not I'm gonna drink again. Over not only what's gonna happen when I drink, how much I'm gonna drink, but just, 
whether or not I'm going to drink again. I don't have any power there. None. Complete deficit. Which is fine until I go, you know, I wanted to change something, until I wanted to have a little power, until I wanted, you know, times were getting kind of tough and I wanted to rein it in a little bit. Sheesh. You know? Nobody said it was going to be like this. But and I found that there was no, absolutely no power to change, and that was terrifying. It's completely terrifying. So it's not of the mind. It's not, this is not talk therapy. This is a spiritual program of action, you know, and we have spiritual tools and, you know, they lay them at our feet and it's for your examination to check them out, to inspect them, but to use them, right? To, to actually like use them, see what's going on. And each, each step is, is, is that spiritual tool. And in two, the book is really clear on what I need. I need power. I've had none. I need a power by which I can live. And the book lets me know exactly where I can find that power. Right? It's on page 55. Deep down within every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. Maybe clamored. And with me, it may be obscured with clamor, right? Worldly clamors, worship of other things, worship of other people, pain, disappointment, memory, stories, victimhood. And it was with me. It was hidden so deep down inside me. I looked everywhere else for a solution to my drinking, but Billy let me in on the surprise, which is great. The great, great news for all of us is that we are given a solution to all of our problems, right? The book doesn't say, like, oh, a way to stop drinking, this is like just a way to like drink better, not drink, right? You know, science may one day do so. Doubtful. I'm going to bust that myth. No one's tearing down a rainforest to find a pill so I can have a six-pack and not be a total asshole. No one's funding that project, right? Like people are working on Ebola. Like, sorry, alcoholics. Like... Nobody's looking for, like, a magic pill that's going to enable us to have some wine with Thanksgiving. It's not happening. So going to that place, and I'm given, I'm given these instructions, this, this fundamental idea, this essence is deep down within, within me, but it's been blocked by my own worldly clamors, by my disappointments, by my pain, and I'm, I'm given the rest of the tools are laid out so I can access this power. So I may have had belief in a power greater than myself. You know, however waning it was. Maybe I even thought I had a relationship, but I never had access before. I was never able, what the book describes as a spiritual experience, I was never able to tap into that unsuspected inner resource that I've come to identify as God. I was never able to touch that power, to live by faith, to to be completely reliant upon grace. I never had that awareness. You know, I had lived completely trapped in self. And in two, I just start to glimpse that that's possible. I start to believe that there can, there, there's a power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity. Sanity in that what's coming for me, I'm not going to want to drink. Right? And I think that's the greatest promise that we're given. And that's absolutely what happens when we follow the steps from the book. And that's been my experience. And that's what needed to happen to me. Because regardless of what happened to me and how dark it was, I still wanted to drink. 
So I needed to be completely, what's promised in this book, transformed, rearranged, complete new attitude and outlook. I needed a new attitude, okay? Like, I needed a new attitude. And I, and you know, and nothing of my own doing was ever going to generate it. So the book says, like, through years of self-discipline, we could never have been given this profound personality change that we are remade, reborn into people who, you know, I wouldn't go back to drinking if I could, and I couldn't go back if I would, that my sanity has been restored. In that place, right, and then making that decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand God. And again, like all of this is so deeply, it's hinging on, it's built upon the depth of my surrender in one, right? How much can I see that as a real alcoholic, I'm suffering from an illness that only a spiritual experience can conquer. So I, I need to have, right? We have but two alternatives to face. One was to go on to the bitter end, trying to blot out the intolerable consciousness of our situation. Drinking, drinking, just, just hanging out in AA, right? Just hanging on for dear life. And I don't believe that, that that's the purpose, right? I don't believe, I believe that we're given these deep, connected, purposeful lives in, in the realization of the presence of the consciousness of our creator. And we get that through the steps. See, that's what I'm aiming for. From that place, I don't want to drink again. Why would I? And I'm not cocky or afraid, like the book says. I'm totally safe, protected, and neutral. It's like, oh, drink. I mean, why, 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 why? So sanity, what the book describes, sanity has been restored. And it's not of my own doing. It's through this process. I take, you know, we 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 take inventory to face and be rid of the things in ourselves which have been blocking us. So they told me back in two that something, that I've been blocked to access to this power. So I'm doing inventory taking, I'm like a shopkeeper, right? Or we can use the actor-director analogy. This actor who wants to be the director, really just the producer of confusion. So we just sit back in the audience and we take a look, curtain up. Here's me. Here's the person I resent on stage. In what ways did I expect them? Was my, my happiness tethered to how they treated me? So I've been a victim of the delusion that I can wrestle satisfaction from this world if only I manage well. Right, and that can come on during sobriety too. If only I get what I want, then everything's going to be great. Right? So I have to quit playing God. It doesn't work. I take inventory to be rid of the things in myself that have been blocking me from access to God. I sit down with another human being. We invite God into the space, and I start to admit the defect, my defects of character. In that really sacred spiritual space, something happens that did not happen in the bar because I used to talk about my shit all the time. <laughs> and there was no release, right? There's no catharsis. It was just like regret, instant, right? Regret the next day. What did I fucking tell them? Ooh. But in the moment, it's like, this is so real. Um, right? Um, something happens in that space, right? It's, it's inexplicable. It's of the spirit. It's divine. Right. And then I go home and I, I, I sit in an hour of meditation with my creator, with God. Six and seven are very personal. 
It's not about list making. It's not about doing the opposite of. Six and seven are very clear in the instructions in the book. (laughs) Father Mike's feeling me. Yeah. It's very clear. It's that I look at the things in my life which I find objectionable, and I found those out in my fist up. Do I find it objectionable that my fear of abandonment has kept me from connecting to other people? Yeah, I do. I do. Have I been able to get rid of it on my own? No. No, I haven't been. Can I see that I'm going to need God's help? Yeah. Do I want him to remove that from me? Yes. And it's when I'm ready, I humbly ask him to remove my defects of character. That's seven, and it's a prayer. To stay in that grace and to stay in that place of connectedness, I need to go out and repair the damage I've done to my fellows. So, you know, the book over and over again, into more action, more action. Guess what? Action. <laughs> and I'm, I'm out there and I'm doing it and I'm connecting and I'm close, right? It's like I can feel the presence of God. I'm in awareness. I'm conscious of it. My internal life is starting to shift and change in ways I had never imagined. And it's not something I will or I force or I must or I better, you know, I better go to that meeting and work with those people and I need to do this and I have to do that. And I don't have to, I don't have to, it just becomes ingrained in me through this work, right? Through total surrender, honesty, open-mindedness and willingness to go through with this process. It all starts to unfold for me, in front of me, within me, through me. And in 10 I stay in this connection, this awareness, and I'm cultivating this relationship with my creator. That's what tends about. Continuing to take personal inventory. And when I'm wrong, promptly admitted it. I'm watching my life. I'm practicing God consciousness. Right? I'm not just mindlessly going through the day, getting what I fucking need for me. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm starting to watch. Watch for selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. And when they crop up, we don't have to wait, right? No, they're, they're coming. They're there. <laughs> when they crop up, we ask God at once to remove them. So there's the relationship I'm building with God. That's reliance and dependence upon God, not on self. I don't need to, you know, ask somebody what's up with it. It's like, no, I'm, I'm being told, I'm being instructed to turn to God at once. I love my sponsor. I'm really close to my sponsor, but I don't turn to my sponsor at once. I turn to God at once. That's the relationship I'm building. I've been placed beyond human aid. I couldn't stop no matter what I did. Nobody could keep me stopped. The cops couldn't keep me stopped. The judges couldn't keep me stopped. The nurses couldn't keep me stopped. So conceding and connected to my first step, that I am powerless over drugs, over alcohol, that my life has become unmanageable, that no human power could relieve my alcoholism, and that God can and will if I seek God. Right? I have to seek God. I'm beyond human aid. I can't suddenly start to be relying on human aid again. Because it, it always failed me. I, you know, I, there's so much love in this room. But it's not sufficient. It, that There's not enough, there's not enough love. Right? I mean, with a real alcoholic, it takes a miracle to separate them from a drink. So we're looking for a miracle. Nothing of this earth, right? We walk and we express it. It comes out within us. When we, when we do what we need to do, we clear the path within us. We invite our creator in. But it's not from us. We can't generate it on our own, right? And that's what I guess I thought Alcoholics Anonymous was, and that's what I think it's so sad that other people think it is, is I thought it was like a bunch of people who just, like, policed each other. Just like, where the f- you think you're going? 
no, sit down. And I was like, oh, that's not going to work for me. Because I'll eventually just like slip on out the door. As I always did, right? As I, as I always did. I didn't, I thought it was human aid. And I'm, I was so relieved. Like I just, I'm so eternally grateful that it's not. Because that would never, ever have brought me to a, to this sane state of mind. It, there's not the sufficient force that could ever create the complete rearrangement of attitude and outlook. Nothing ever, you know, it cannot be of human, right? So being in that place that God can and will when I seek God and seeing that God can and does, and then I continue to seek in prayer and meditation that relationship that I'm cultivating, that I'm nurturing, and that I'm living and abiding in. And in that awareness, so I get my thinking back, which is cool. Because I heard all these rumors that I was never going to be able to trust my stinking thinking. As, a, as an alcoholic, you know, the, the mind is like a scary neighborhood, like don't go alone or something. Or it's like hell, like don't don't slow down and take pictures. That's, whoa, I don't, that's not, that's not, that's not what's being described to me in the book. That's not God consciousness. So I'm being told that I'm going to have intuitive inspiration and thought. And I can practice my willpower along the line of God's will. Thy will be done, not mine. And then I'm set free. Right? In 12, we talk about what is so, you know, that we continue to carry this message. And again, like working with others, I work with others not just because it's like the hugest bright spot of my life that I, I have a passion for it. I love it. The connection. I mean, I didn't have any like connections before. I mean, what was, I didn't want any. Okay. You don't understand me. I'm dark and mysterious. <laughs> right. We're really deep people. Like, <laughs> So, like, I, I not only get the gift of these, like, human, authentic interactions and these, these connections, but I sponsor, you know, well, not, you know, it's also a step, right? So it, it's being, it's being asked of me if I want what's described in the book, I need to take all the action that's described. Um, but I sponsor because it's from a sane, treated, recovered mind. So coming to meetings, sponsoring, all these things that we do as an expression of our being treated. Doing those things don't treat me. I do those things because I'm treated, because I'm recovered. Um, and again, like I said, um, being able to connect with another alcoholic and to share this great news that we get in this program is one of the greatest gifts of my life. Living in the world of the spirit, right? Not tethered anymore to the, the material world, meaning that we're given peace, contentedness, ease, freedom, regardless of our external circumstances, right? And that's, that's what I wanted and that's what I absolutely have. Job or no job, relationship or no relationship, money in the bank account. I don't want to be defined anymore by my material circumstances. Right, walking around just really connected to what I think I'm supposed to have, what I think success is, that I'm in a place where I can truly turn and ask for God's 
for the vision of God's will for my life. I'm so glad that we're all here together tonight. Um, and I want to invite you to just take a couple minutes. Well, let's do moments because I think we're right at the end. Take a couple seconds. There, it just passed. And I want you to... We took them. That was intense. I'm glad we shared in that together. I'm glad we shared in that together. But I want to I want to invite you to consider, contemplate, meditate on what it means. What do they what do you think they mean when they say in the book may you find him now? When's now? Is it right now? When's now? May you find God now is it now? Is it now? Is it now? So faith must work through us 24 hours a day or we perish. Thank you so much.